0: Well, good morning. If you brought your Bibles, if you turn over to Colossians 1, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 20. You know, there's a lot of religions in the world, and they all point you to something. They all point you to someone. The Mormons point you to Joseph Smith. The Muslims point you to Muhammad. The Buddhists will point you to Buddha, kind of. Other religions, most of them will then point you to yourself. Christianity points you to one person. It points you to the Lord Jesus Christ. We read that in Acts 8, that the message of the church is Christ. Paul said, I preach Christ. He told the Corinthians, I desire to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christ is everything. He is everything because he is superior to everything. He is superior to Mohammed. He is superior to Buddha. He is superior to Joseph Smith. He is everything. And even in our Christian walk, there are times that we try to elevate things and put things before Christ. We try to put our desires before Him, put our comfort before Him. And when we get into rough times and we start feeling sick or ill or we have difficulty in the world, we turn to and we look to someone or something other than Christ. I can somehow find a way through this problem without Him. I don't need Him in this situation. The reality is the Bible says that Christ is supreme, that you need Him in every situation, that you need Him on every day, every moment of every day. The false teachers in Colossae, if you read through the book of Colossians, they were pointing people to all sorts of things, to human tradition and philosophy, to asceticism, the harsh treatment of the body. And they were telling people, look, if you really want a relationship with God, here's what you need to do. You need to go through these rituals and sacrifices. You need to have this religion. You need to come to these teachers to get the philosophy and the teaching. You need to worship angels because you can't have true wisdom and knowledge unless you do these things. And Paul's answer throughout the book is one thing, Jesus Christ. In Colossians 2, 3, he said, all wisdom and knowledge is stored in the person of Christ. You want wisdom and knowledge you run to Christ. You want righteousness with God, Paul says, Christ has taken the law and he's crucified it. And he's fulfilled the entire law. And now you have forgiveness of sins, the cancellation of your debt. Paul's answer to the Colossian false teachers was Christ is supreme. Supremacy, the state or condition of being superior to all others. Superior in authority, to have a higher rank. Superior in power, to have greater strength than all others. Superior in status, having a higher position compared to everybody else. And here in our passage this morning, Paul is going to give you seven reasons that Christ is superior. Seven reasons that Christ is superior. Let's look at Colossians 1. just realized I need to read the passage to you, huh? Let's start in verse 15. For he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Let's look at the first reason Jesus Christ is superior. He is superior because he is the image of God. Colossians 1, verse 15, he says, who is the image of the invisible God? Image here refers to an image or a likeness. If you still carry cash around and you have a quarter in your pocket, you pull out the quarter, there is an image on the quarter. It's the image of George Washington. This same term he uses here was also used in Matthew 22, 20 to describe Caesar's image being impressed on a coin. It's to share and to resemble some feature of the person that's pictured man is said to be made in god's image in genesis 1:26 and 27 man was man is given certain communicable attributes of god so much so that when you look at man you know he was created by god you see an aspect of who god is in man just like when you look at a quarter and the features of that image tell you who it is All of creation looks at man and recognizes the attributes of God in you. We are in his image. Our existence, our attributes point back to God. But we don't point back to him perfectly because we are marred and stained by sin. Because of the fall, the image of God has been tarnished, it's been stained, it's been polluted. Jesus is the pure, perfect image of God, he's not stained by sin. He doesn't merely have some of his attributes, some of the attributes of God. Hebrews 1 verse 3, speaking of Jesus, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Exact representation. The word here refers to the stamp that impresses the form or the shape of a person's face onto a coin. Jesus is the exact form of God. Philippians 2.6 says, Who although existing in the form of God, this is speaking about before the incarnation, Jesus had the form, all the appearances of God. That is to say that Jesus existed in the full glory of God. When he came to earth, his glory was veiled by flesh. When he was in heaven, it was on full display. The only way to exist in the form of God is if Jesus is God. There's no other way. Colossians 1 verse 15, who is the image of the what? The invisible God. God is a spirit. And spirits by nature are invisible. You cannot see them. But this, I think, is something of a mercy of God. How many invisible people do you know? And if there was someone invisible, how could you have a relationship with them? It would be kind of hard, wouldn't it? Jesus is the invisible God made visible. I think this is another grace of God that he condescends to our level so that we can grasp him, so that we can try to begin to understand him. Jesus in John 14, 9 said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. You know, if I said that about myself, it would be blasphemous. If I said, If you have seen me, you have seen God, every single one of you would rightfully get up and walk out. It would be blasphemy. Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God. That is to say, Jesus is not a man who speaks about God. He's not a man who merely points you back to God. Jesus is God. When you come to Jesus, you come to God himself. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word here is Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When Paul says he is the image of God, He's saying that he is God, and if he is God, what is superior to him? Nothing. First reason, Jesus is superior. He is the image of God. Second reason, Jesus is superior. He is the firstborn of all creation. Look at the end of verse 15. The firstborn of all creation. Now, Mormons will look at this, and they will tell you that firstborn means the first child born, and so they actually teach that Jesus is the first spirit child of the Father. And that all of creation are spirit children. You are spirit children. And Jesus is your older brother. Now that means he can't be God and he's a created being. And there is a sense in which this word does refer to the firstborn in the sense of a son or a child. In the Old Testament, that's how this word was commonly used. It was used to refer to the one who was born first in a family. But it went beyond just physical birth. The firstborn in the family was unique. They had special rights and privileges that the other children did not have. This was the son who would receive the greater part of the inheritance. He would have more prominence. He would be the leader of the family when the father passed. The term doesn't just refer to chronological birth, but to position, to rank, to prominence or status. Israel, the nation, was called the firstborn. Exodus 4, verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says Yahweh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. If this is talking about physical birth, it doesn't work, does it? Israel was not physically born, it's a nation. Israel is the firstborn in the sense that it holds a higher rank, a greater position than the other nations of the world. It's the only nation God turned in Zechariah 2.8 and said, they are the apple of my eye. Israel wasn't the firstborn child. It wasn't even the first nation created. But it was the first nation in prominence, in rank, in position, and they were treated as being unique. They received an inheritance other nations did not receive. And God treated them in a way he did not treat any other nation. When Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he is saying that Christ is superior, that Christ has a higher rank than everyone and everything else in creation. More than that, this term firstborn also refers to the right to rule, to sovereignty. It was used in the Old Testament, Psalm 89 that directly refers to David, but ultimately will refer to the Messiah. Psalm 89, verse 27, I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Firstborn doesn't refer merely to a higher position. It refers to absolute sovereignty. When it says that Jesus is the firstborn, he has a rightful place as ruler, as king. He rules over all other kings, all princes, all presidents, all prime ministers, all authorities are subject to him. There is no authority on earth that is greater than him, that is higher than him. For an unbeliever to say, well, I don't believe that, I don't believe in Jesus, look, ultimately it doesn't matter if you believe. Jesus is the king, whether you believe it or not. Fire burns, whether you believe it or not. Poison kills, whether you believe it or not. And Jesus is the king, and you will bow to him one day. Whether you believe it or not right now is irrelevant. Christian, do you live like this is true? Are you submitting to Jesus in your life today? Or are there areas of your life that you've cut out and said, nope, Jesus doesn't rule here, this is for me. He has rule and authority because he is the firstborn. But his authority also comes from the third reason that Jesus is superior. It's not just because he's firstborn. Third reason Jesus is superior. He is the creator. Look at verse 16. For in him all things were created. To create refers to making something that did not exist before. If Jesus is the creator... If he created all things, he must be God. There's no way he could have created all things and he's not God. Wait, I thought God the Father created. So did Jesus create or did the Father create? Answer? Yes. God the Father created through his Son. Hebrews 1 verse 2. In these last days spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, here it is, through whom also he made the worlds. It was through the Lord Jesus Christ that God made everything that exists. And notice, he made the worlds, plural, refers to all of the universe, not just the earth. Hebrews 1, verse 10, speaking of Jesus, And you, Lord, in the beginning, Founded the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Jesus is the Creator. Verse 16, Colossians 1, verse 16, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Heavens and earth here refers heavens refers to the sky and to space. Earth obviously refers to the earth. But notice also it says visible and invisible. Jesus created everything that you see, and he created all the things that you can't see. And then he lumps several words together, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All of these terms refer to spiritual powers. These are not talking about earthly powers. These are talking about angels and fallen angels, demons. And Jesus created all of them. He created the good angels who are continuing to serve God, and he created the ones that fell and are now in rebellion against God. Jesus created the angels that the false teachers in Colossians 2.18 are saying, the Colossians should go worship. And Paul responds, you don't need to worship an angel. They're created beings. And they, as mighty and as powerful as they are, they are servants of Christ. Christ is superior, far superior to all of the angels. If it exists today, it exists because Jesus created it. There is nothing that exists that Jesus did not create. John 1 verse 3, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. You can translate the end of that differently. Apart from him, nothing came into being, not one thing. If Jesus is the creator, he could not have been created, as Joseph Smith said, or as Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses. All things, verse 16, all things have been created through him. All things. Not some things, not most things. All things. I want you to think about this for a minute because this is important. If I build a table, I go outside, I cut down my tree, I plane, I do all the things you have to do. I don't know what you have to do to build a table out of a tree, but Whatever it is you have to do, I did all those things. And I build a table. Let me ask you a question. What can I do with my table? Let me ask you a different way. What am I not allowed to do with my table? Am I allowed to paint my table? Am I allowed to make it with only three legs rather than four? Can I make it as big or as small as I want? If I build a table, am I allowed to sell it? Am I allowed to keep it for myself? Am I allowed to take my table, disassemble it, and use it for other things? Am I allowed to take my table and burn it in the fire? I built the table. I made the table. It's mine. I can do with it as I please. Jesus created you. He has absolute authority over you. He is superior to you in every way. And you owe him your absolute obedience. He is your king. More than that, he is your creator. You were created by him and you were created for him. Colossians 1 verse 16 again. And for him. That is to say, your existence, every aspect of your existence and every breath you take is for Him. And for you not to live for the Lord Jesus Christ is for you to fail to accomplish the purpose for which you were created. You exist to glorify Him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Since Jesus is God, you're doing it all for His glory. You are to be pleasing to Him. Everything you do should be for the purpose of pleasing Christ, making Jesus smile. Colossians one verse ten, so that you may walk in a manner worthy, of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, in every way, shape, and form. No matter what I'm doing, my goal is to please Christ, and it doesn't matter where you go. Second Corinthians five nine. Therefore, we all we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent to be pleasing to him. It doesn't matter if I'm at church or I'm at work or I'm in the privacy of my own home. Jesus is my creator. He is superior to me and I am to do everything for him, to please him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is before all things. That is to say, he existed before all things. And that's kind of logical since he created everything. And in him, all things hold together. You know, right now, we're just a collection of atoms, in a sense, physically. What holds your atoms together? Why is it that you don't disintegrate right now? Why is it that gravity continues to work and we're not floating around? How is it that the earth stays in its orbit around the sun? How is it that the earth continues to spin on its axis so you have day and night? The chair you're sitting in is held together by the power of Christ. And it's not just that he keeps the atoms together. Jesus is the one who enables the atoms to even exist. It is by his will, his power, his desire that the atoms in your chair continue to exist. And if he were to will it, those atoms would just simply disappear and vanish. That is true of your life as well. Your heart continues to be only because God in Christ allows it. He permits it. You are able to draw your breath because Jesus gives you the ability to draw every breath. You're borrowing his heir. You're borrowing his power. Are you using it to sin against him? How much of your daily life is done without Christ? How much of your activities do you go through without even acknowledging Christ as being the source of your power and strength to do whatever it is you're doing? He is the creator and he is the sustainer. And if he is your creator, he is superior to everything. Fourth reason Jesus is superior. He is the head of the church. Look at Colossians 1 verse 18. And he is the head of the body, of the church. Head of the body, this is a metaphor. Kind of obvious, but have you ever heard the saying, don't lose your head? To lose your head is to lose your life, right? Right? I can lose most of the limbs of my body. They can take my arms. They can take my legs. They can take some organs out. But if I lose my head, it's over. I can't do anything. I can't walk, talk, jump, sit, stand, jog, sleep. Without the head, I'm done. The head is what gives life. The head is what directs and controls and gives direction and organizes and leads the body. It unifies all the various parts of the body so that each part of the body works together. When you run, the head tells the muscles to move your legs. The head tells your lungs to breathe in air. The head controls your heart so it pumps sufficient blood. The head directs your body to burn energy stores from the the food that you've eaten. It's the head that interprets light and filters and works through your eyes so that you can see where you're going. It's the head that makes decisions and interprets what you see. It's the head that directs the immune system to attack illnesses and viruses. Without your head, none of that's possible. Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He gives life to the church. He organizes the church. He determines the church's structure. He is what unifies the church. We're not united here because we all affirm Grace Bible Church. I grew up as a Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic Church has a form of unity. How many of you have had a Catholic tell you you guys aren't united? They say so much. The Catholic Church is really good at promoting unity, but they promote a unity of association. You identify as a Catholic, I identify as a Catholic. We're united. Notice what's missing from that equation? What unites this church is not Grace Bible Church. It's not the leaders of this church. What unites this church is the Lord Jesus Christ and our devotion to him. It is Christ who empowers the church. It is Christ who gives gifts to the church. He is the head, the source, the life of the church, the ruler and the highest authority. He directs, leads, guides, and rules over the entire body. There is nothing in this church that should be done without looking to Christ and making sure it's what He desires. This is not your church. This is not my church. It's His. I just get the privilege of being a part of it. Christ is the head of the church. Fifth reason Jesus is superior. He is the firstborn from the dead. Look at verse 18. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. He uses the same word here, firstborn, But now he modifies it and says, firstborn from the dead. This same idea is expressed again in Revelation 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. What does it mean to be the firstborn from the dead? This is referring to his resurrection. But again, this is not saying that he was the first to rise from the grave because Jesus raised other people from the grave before he did. So it's not talking about chronology. Chronology. The term firstborn here is used in the same way as we saw earlier. It refers to his rank or status. Of all the people that ever have been or ever will be raised from the grave, Jesus is the most important. His resurrection was the most important. His resurrection is the one that had the most value, the most worth, that accomplished the most and it is his resurrection that is the source, the, the power behind all other resurrections. It is because of the resurrection of Christ that we have hope that we too will rise from the dead. Jesus said in John fourteen nine. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you live also. It is through his death and his resurrection that Jesus has liberated believers from the power of death. You no longer owe a death in the sense of eternally. Hebrews 2, verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Because of the resurrection of Christ, death is no longer something to be feared. Death is now just the beginning of eternal life. Believers look forward to death because we get to leave this world and go be with Christ. If you are a believer, if you have truly trusted in Christ, you will physically die one day, but your body will not remain in the grave forever. You will be resurrected. You will be given a new body, a glorified body, a body that is free from sickness and disease. There's a lot of sniffles in the room this morning, a body that will never get tired. A body that will never decay. A body that will never have aches and pains. A body that will never require you to groan when you get out of bed. Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things have passed away. It's because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll overcome the consequence of sin, the eternal consequence. He'll overcome death. But it's not just that you're freed from the power of death. You're also freed from the power of sin. Romans 6, verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. Believers are given new life now to live differently, to walk differently. Verse 5, Romans 6, verse 5, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. The whole purpose of the death and the resurrection of Christ was that you would be liberated not only from the penalty of sin, but that you would be liberated from the power of sin. That you would live a life that is pleasing to Christ today. That you would turn from your sin because you are no longer a slave to sin. Now you are a slave to righteousness. You're a slave to Jesus Christ. Romans 6 verse 17, But thanks be to God, that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were given over. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Question, are you freed from the power of sin, or does sin still rule over you? Now, there's a couple of different ways that can happen. A believer could be in sin for a short season and backslide, And when they get there, oftentimes I've heard people say, well, I just don't have any power over this. I know you don't. And that's the problem. Believers looking to themselves for the power to overcome sin. They fall into sin and they run back to the mirror and keep going back and looking in the mirror, thinking the person in the mirror is somehow going to have the power if they just will it to overcome sin. And if you've done that before... you know that doesn't work. That's misery. You need to run to Christ. You need to look to Christ. He is superior. He is supreme. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who was raised from the grave so that you would have power over sin through him. Verse 18, why do you do that? Verse 18, so that he will have first place In everything. First place, the chief spot, the primary place. That he'll be your first consideration. That he'll be the first person you turn to when you need guidance. That he would have first place in everything. Not some things, not most things, not 99% of the things. In everything, in every aspect of your life, from what you do to what you say to what you think, to your de- does Jesus Christ today have first place in everything in your life? Are you willing to sacrifice your desires and your wants so that you can be pleasing to Him? Or is there an area of your life that there are desires and wants that you have that you are not willing to give up? to be pleasing to Christ. Fifth reason, he is superior. He is the firstborn from the dead. Sixth reason, Jesus is superior. He is the fullness of God. Look at verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You know, the false teachers in Colossae taught that divine power was divided up and that it's being sent out through all these other manifestations. They called them emanations. And so if you wanted the power of God, you had to go to all these different emanations to them and hope that they would give it to you. And Paul responds and refutes the error and says, no, all divine power is in the person of Christ. Notice he says, in him, in Christ, was the fullness of God. Fullness here refers to the completeness, to have the full measure. And the fullness here refers to his divine attributes. All divine power, all divine authority, all divine omniscience, all of it is in Christ. You don't need to go to other people or other things. This same term for fullness is used in Colossians 2.9. Colossians 2, nine. for in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. All the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Why did he say dwells bodily? Because there were people saying that Jesus was not a real person. He wasn't flesh and blood, that God would never dwell inside of a person. And so Paul says, no, God was pleased for all of his fullness to dwell inside of a human being. Colossians 2.10, and in him you have been filled if you are in Christ, you have been filled. That is to say, you have access to all of the divine power. You have access to all of the divine attributes. John 1, 16, for of his fullness, we have all received in grace upon grace. We've all received access to the divine nature, and in that divine nature, there is grace upon grace. That is to say, overflowing grace, abundant grace. Every grace you need, every help that you need, you have received the fullness of God's attributes, the fullness of His nature. You haven't become God. I want to make sure I'm clear. Let me say it another way. All of your needs have been met in the person of Christ. He didn't make salvation merely possible, He accomplished salvation fully. It's all been done. It's all been accomplished. Fully, completely. By the power of God. Romans 5, verse 2, Paul said that through Christ we have received an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Let me say it another way. You came to Christ because of Christ. As a believer, He provides you everything that you need, everything that you need to grow. Part of that is done through the church, through the local assembly. In Ephesians 4.12, he talks about all the different gifts in the church. And he says, All of them, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is to say, in the the local assembly, Christ provides everything you need to grow up, to be mature in the faith, to grow in Christ's likeness. You don't have to go running out to other places and other sources. And how does the church do that? How does the church help you grow in the likeness of Christ? Colossians 1, verse 28 We proclaim Him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete every man mature in Christ Christ brought you to saving faith he provides all that you need and it's through the proclamations through pointing you to Christ and beholding Christ that you are transformed into his image if you need wisdom go to Christ colossians 2:3 in him all the fullness uh, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge In Christ, you have everything you need because He has the fullness of God. The fullness of God resides in Him. Christ is God. And He is available to you, not later, today. Have you gone to Him? Do you know Him? If He's available to you, are you taking that opportunity and running to Him for salvation? If you're already a believer, are you still running to him? Are you still seeing him as the source of your growth, as the source of all that you need? Christ is superior. He's superior because he is the fullness of God. Last one, seventh reason, Jesus is superior. He's the reconciler of all things. Notice verse 20, And through him, to reconcile all things to himself. Through him, all things have been reconciled. Reconciliation refers to bringing peace to a relationship. Colossians 1, verse 20, that's when he says, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him. The creation is reconciled to God through Christ. Why does the creation need to be reconciled? It needs to be reconciled because man, because of man's sin, man was hostile to God. If you're not a believer this morning, if you have not trusted in Christ for salvation, you are not a friend of God. You are not a child of God. You are an enemy of God because you refuse to obey, because you refuse to submit. We were all hostile towards God. And here's the reality. God was hostile toward us. Psalm 5, the psalmist says that God hates the wicked. He separates from them. And through his death on the cross, Jesus reconciled you to God. He removed the enmity, the hostility. On the cross, Christ has provided a way for sinners to be right with God, to have fellowship with God, that you who were an enemy can now be a child, a friend, that you can be in right relationship. You can go from being hostile to being at peace, peace with your Creator. That's what Christ accomplished. He brought peace. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you won't come to Christ, you will never have peace with God. There is no other way to have peace with God than through Christ. But Paul is not referring merely to individual salvation. Notice in Colossians 1 verse 20, He says that Jesus has reconciled all things. All relationship will one day be reconciled. In Romans 8, he says that all of creation groans waiting for that time. All of creation has been tarred and stained by sin. It's all under a curse. It's ravaged by sickness and disease and death. And Jesus will reconcile all of creation. That is to say, he'll set it free from the consequences of sin and then God will have his rightful place on the earth. Christ will reign and rule over the earth and bring absolute peace to all creation. Notice the end of verse 20. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, everything will be reconciled. Everything will be made right. That peace was purchased through the death of Christ, and he will usher it in when he returns. This is Paul's argument. Jesus is superior. He is supreme over all things. He's superior because he's the image of God. He's the firstborn of creation. He's the creator. He's the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, the fullness of God, and the reconciler of all things. Jesus is supreme. Is that true in your life this morning? Are you living like that is true? It's already true. My question is, do you recognize it daily? Let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us. Father, we're so thankful for Christ. Thankful for your son. We're thankful for what he's done. We're thankful for who he is. We're thankful that we have your word that is clear. That points us to Christ. We just ask that you would humble us not about us putting christ where he is it's about us recognizing what he is and who he is and we ask that you would help us in our hearts and our minds and our lives to bow to christ and to give him his rightful place as being supreme we ask this in his name